Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Lantesta. We are rapidly approaching the end of summer, the coming Labor Day, and with it, the NFL football season. I, for one, am ready for some football, and I know someone else who is too. Unfortunately, he's not here right now, so let's bring in one Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? I like football. I do. We've never talked about this. I used to like football. I mean, back when they had halftime shows, like watch a bunch of bands on the field in between plays doing the history of mayonnaise. <laughs> By the way, that's not my joke. That's Robert Klein's on Mind Over Matter. Seek that one out. Wonderful stand-up. So, Jim, uh, for some reason, I'm spending late summer in Orlando, I guess, trying to get ready for my time in hell. Whatever. Wow. A couple of interesting news items mm-hmm. that came out today. Disney's announced early morning magic for Toy Story Land. Have you seen this? We kind of knew this was coming, didn't we? Yeah. Especially on the heels of the annual pass holders. Events were scheduled for September or thereabouts. I mean, it just stood to reason that once high season was over, that they would try to make this available. Right. And in fact, it does. It starts, I think, September 17th. It's offered on Mondays and Wednesdays. Mm -hmm. You get access to the three Toy Story Land rides. Mm -hmm. So Toy Story Mania, Slinky Dog Dash, and Alien Swirling Saucers from 7.30 to 8.45 in the morning. Plus, you get character greeting opportunities as well. And an interesting breakfast option that we'll talk about shortly. Mm-hmm. The price, uh, $84 for adults for that hour and 15 minutes. $73.50 for kids. Also, you need theme park admission as well. So you're looking at close to 200 bucks per adult for your day at Disney's Hollywood Studios. So... A couple of things before we talk about the dining there, Jim. $84 for early morning magic for Toy Story Land. What's it going to be for Galaxy's Edge? Wow. At a zero? Shift the decimal one (laughs) one point to the right? (laughs) Forgive me for smearing my franchises here, but isn't it Star Trek that deals with pressed latinum? Piles and piles of pressed latinum. Supposedly, this is all part of the Disney World maturing resort sort of business plan that this is all about creating these new revenue streams that don't necessarily impact the guest who's just walking up to the gate that day and buys a ticket and comes into the park. The idea is they're really not aware that at the back of the park, people have been in there since seven o'clock and, you know, are enjoying themselves. Right. The argument is that if you're that family that has come down to Orlando and that three to five day family vacation once in a lifetime or once every five to 10 years. And this allows you to get into the brand new land at Disney's Hollywood Studios. In your eyes, is this worth it? And I guess given that you've actually been in the land, Len, $84, Mm -hmm. is this money well spent? It's roughly $20 per ride Mm -hmm. access, not per time you're on it, Mm -hmm. but to get access to each ride is is roughly $20. And then they do an interesting food option. Mm-hmm. I'll read you Disney's description of it and then we'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. It says, uh, fuel up for your rise and shine adventures with a delicious breakfast featuring a continental buffet with yogurt, fruit, pastries, and assorted cereal, as well as your choice of a main dish like avocado toast or fried chicken served with a tasty cronut. The breakfast setup will be available at a select quick service dining location outside of Toy Story Land. And so that got me thinking a couple of things. One is, you millennials, the reason why you can't buy houses is because you're buying avocado toast. (laughs) So skip that. 
<laughs> but the second thing was, why is the breakfast outside of Toy Story Land? Like, where's the nearest quick service restaurant? Is it is it ABC Commissary? Ooh, geez. And, and that really stretches the definition of right nearby. Jeez. Well, look, you and I both know that, that what is it? The Andes Lunchbox Quick Service. Yeah, there's no way that you're going to you're going to fit hundreds of people through there. I mean, you that wasn't going to be a service option. And I don't think they wanted to. They couldn't provide the buffet in Toy Story Land because if this thing runs from 7.30 to 8.45, mm-hmm. you can't break it down in 15 minutes no. for when the regular day guests arrive. I would bet you people are, are being handed a voucher with Disney hoping that what people do is they do their Toy Story experience and then afterwards at 8.45, they go to the restaurant and get breakfast. There's perceived value there because honestly, anybody who goes for breakfast. Oh, so you think it's a buffet like at like at Hollywood and Vine, the Hollywood and Vine buffet? Yeah, something like that. Just the very fact that you have from seven to eight forty-five is or seven to seven thirty to eight forty-five. You got an hour and fifteen minutes. Even with a, a relatively small group of people in there. Can you actually get through Alien Swirly Saucers and Slinky Dog Dash and Toy Story Mania in an hour and 15 minutes? Yeah, they're all relatively short rides. I mean, Alien Swirling Saucers is a minute, minute and a half tops. Mm-hmm. Slinky Dog is 90 seconds, two minutes. Okay. And Toy Story is a few minutes. But yeah, and the lines are going to be short because mm-hmm. not that many people are going to pay $84 for this. So you might get a few hundred people okay. in line spread out across three rides. Mm-hmm. It won't be a problem at all. I'm betting, though, that this uh, this breakfast is at ABC Commissary. For one thing, $84 for an adult and $73 for kids is not that far off from the actual Hollywood and Vine breakfast price. Mm-hmm. They also mentioned uh, quick service. Mm-hmm. So it's it's almost certainly not uh, not Hollywood and Vine. Yeah, I think you've nailed it. Toy Story Land and ABC Commissary being perceived as being close together. You know, it's kind of like, it's like. Close. I mean, on, on a galactic scale. Well, there you go. All right. You know, just, you know. In the long run world. Yeah. You know, Greenland, the, Iceland. Uh, and funny thing was, I was at ABC Commissary two days ago mm-hmm. for dinner. Uh, Laurel wanted to try the new vegan burger and I got the Mexican pork dish. It with, came with a corn and cheese uh, empanada. But the thing that was interesting about ABC Commissary was that they've now switched to a uh, an upscale dining venue. Before, you would go to ABC Commissary, you would go to the register, you would order your food, you'd move along the line towards the kitchen, you'd pick up your food, you'd take it to your seat. Now, once you order, they hand you a buzzer like you get at Be Our Guest in the Magic Kingdom. So it's an RFID-enabled buzzer. So, and then someone will find you wherever you sit in the restaurant and bring your food to you. Hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, obviously, it's not a case of developing new technology. It's, I think it's, they're trying to make ABC Commissary uh, fancier. The other thing I noticed is the price of the entrees is now a couple dollars more mm-hmm. than the similar entrees at Backlot Express, which is what we're you know, comparing to for prices. So I think the most expensive thing at uh, ABC Commissary, which was the pork thing that I got, was I think around $16. I think the most expensive thing at Backlot Express is around So they're definitely trying something uh, new there. I would say the food was fine for what it was for my Mexican inspired meal. It was Mexican in the, in the same way I am when I wear a sombrero, (laughs) which is to say not, not very much. Okay. It was fine. It was a lot of food. It was reasonably tasty, I guess. The service was good. I don't know that this new implementation at ABC Commissary is the solution to ABC Commissary's problems, Mm -hmm. but we'll see what happens there. Okay. Because realistically, remembering that we are 15 months out now, in theory, from the opening of 
of Galaxy's Edge and ish. Yeah. yeah, once that opens and just up the street is the entrance to the Rebels X-Wing area of the park and that sort of thing. In much the same way of what we saw with the expansion at Rizzo's Pizza and the Trattoria on Grand Avenue. Yeah. Once this opens, watching how people's traffic patterns and how the restaurants in the immediate vicinity of the entrances and the exits Mm -hmm. handle this. What is lunch and dinner going to be like at the ABC Commissary with it being the closest quick service except for Rizzo? Though, you know, one might argue the studio, the quick service there that's in the prop shop kind of a thing. Backlog Express. Backlog uh, Express. Between, uh, yeah, between uh, Indiana Jones and mm. Star Tours. Yeah. Yeah. So Len, I don't envy what you and the guys for the unofficial guide are going to have to do once Galaxy's Edge opens. Just sort of re-examining all these traffic patterns. You know, yeah. How these things get used to the parks. And you know it's going to be different once Galaxy's Edge opens for a variety of reasons. Right now... Pizza Rizzo, which is right next to Mama Melrose's, actually closes at 4 or 4.30 in the afternoon. Does it really? It does. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And that's not going to happen once Galaxy's Edge opens, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So that's all going to change. I would expect to see that whole Muppets courtyard area become a little bit more streamlined, maybe remove some of the seating that's there Mm -hmm. and so on. The other thing, though, is you may see more things like the ABC commissary idea because- you think about what it's doing here, rather than making you stand in line for your food, mm-hmm. which increases the lines at the register, right? Because there's nowhere to go mm-hmm. while you're waiting for your food. It does tend to make the lines smaller because you're now sitting at a table instead of an in line waiting for your food. That could help with guest satisfaction and maybe get people through a little faster. That's an excellent insight. Yeah. So I think you, we may see more more experiments like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. The other thing I did this week, mm-hmm. uh, went to the uh, Halloween party at the Magic Kingdom. And really, I was, I was there for the, the three new things that they've done. One is they've added characters to Pirates of the Caribbean. Have you seen this? Oh, yeah. The Pistol Pete or what it was? Gunpowder Pete. Gunpowder Pete. There we go. Pistol Pete was a basketball player. There too. we go. My mistake. So they've added a handful of characters. I think three, four. There's characters at the entrance. Like as you, as you walk in mm-hmm. uh, to the castle, you know how at like knee level and below – there are storage areas for like gunpowder and things like that where you can sort of look down and see things. And it's actually a little bit higher than knee level, but sort of like arched viewing areas where you can see into other rooms holding gunpowder and casks and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they put a character in there that warns you about gunpowder Pete. And then when you're actually in the queue, in the boarding area, there's a, a character there holding up a wanted poster of gunpowder Pete explaining that he's very dangerous. And if you see him, you know, alert the authorities and, and whatnot. And then you, when as you're riding through the ride, remember a couple of episodes ago I talked about a bridge yes. between the castle scene and the uh, and the burning city scene mm-hmm. that I'd never recognized before. That's where Gunpowder Pete actually stands oh. on it. So I don't remember that that bridge at all. I, I, so if he's been there for 40 years, I completely missed it. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, it's really interesting. That's where he's standing, and he tells you to you know to be wary. His his tagline is. Uh, I'm Gunpowder Pete, the greatest pirate you'll ever meet. So it rhymes. Ugh. That appears to be it. That's what they've uh, they've done so far. So I'm sorry, but between the buildup and the outside the attraction, inside the attraction, here's the water poster. And for that to be the payoff, I'm Gunpowder Pete, the greatest pirate you'll ever meet. It's like, really? Really? That's it? Yeah, there's, there's no other story. Okay, so we've seen Gunpowder Pete. 
Now what? Like what? <laughs> you know, that's it. Exactly. What's, what's Act Two, uh, right? What's What's or Act Three, right? Yeah. What's we've been you know Act One? We've been warned about Gunpowder Powder Pete. Mm-hmm. Act Two, we've met Gunpowder Pete. What's Act Three? Yeah. Where are we going from here? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I love the idea that we're we're trying out new things in Pirates of the Caribbean or in any ride, you know, for that matter. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen now? But the thing, when I was talking to Laurel about this, mm-hmm. the idea that we generated was this. What other attractions mm-hmm. would benefit from live characters? Mm-hmm. So immediately we thought of, <laughs> my first thought was Carousel of Progress. <laughs> Laurel's first thought was Frontierland Shooting Arcade, which uh, I, you know, Laurel's a, little, Laurel's a little more hardcore than I am. Mm-hmm. But I thought that would be interesting. Uh, they've actually done Haunted Mansion live characters before, right? Yeah. Which is, apparently has has traumatized generations of Southern Californian youth. The way they used to position the figure. It's a, it was a knight, right? Well, a knight figure. Yeah. What they would do is inside the attraction, if you know the endless hallway and then the casket with the, you know, help, let me out, help. Yeah. On one side, there's that suit of armor with, you know, the halyard that, you know, he keeps moving back and forth and that sort of thing. They would actually put mm-hmm. a cast member in in the same space, dressed in a matching set of armor. And so, same thing, they would just sort of rock until, I guess they were told every second or third Omnimover, they'd move mm-hmm. and jump toward the thing. And I only got to experience this once, I want to say it was the, the summer of 1983. You know, the problem was that people who were riding the attraction, if you happened to be in the Omnimover that missed it, you heard the scream, and then, it, well, what, yeah. what was that? <laughs> In the end, it wound up being more of a, not a guest satisfier. People were kind of ticked off that they missed the suit of armor. And to circle back on Laurel's idea, David Mumford, legendary Imagineer. But David was also one of the great dog lovers of the planet and a friend of his to, to just really to get out a rise out of him one day, you know, the, because there had been, of course, all this talk about Every attraction at the Disney theme parks now has to be tied to an IP. We can't do right. the original thing. So this friend you know, worked up this entire presentation. It's like, well, David, you know, have you heard about what we're doing at the Frontierland Shooting Gallery? And it's like, no, what's going on? Oh, we're going with an old Yeller theme. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know it's it's every day we'll be going down to the SBCA and you know selecting dogs and you know just to chill, put a little whipped cream in their mouth and, and Dave was like no no this is terrible it's like David it's a joke it's the worst idea I've ever heard you know, but the old yeller themed shooting gallery yeah but it's a, it's an interesting idea right I'd love our, for our listeners to weigh in on this what attraction would be better with live characters in it what would you do with Carousel of Progress would you have Put a live human on stage yelling at grandma, you know, to the effect in the, the, the future scene. It's like, grandma, this system never came in. You know, just nobody plays this game anymore. Why do we have this giant television? You know, where's the flat screen? Imagine something like the comedy warehouse meets Carousel of Progress. I think that might be, that may be funny, funny, especially the uh, the Christmas scene where you could do a lot more around the oven malfunction and sort of tie in. All the other scenes with the jokes. Speaking of which, did you see where one of our listeners actually taped the Comedy Warehouse presentation that included the history of croutons? I did. I thank you for the uh, for the video too. That was amazing. That we still have to do a show on that. I agree. The history of croutons. The things that people have in their home movies is just incredible. I agree. This is a, a, a total digression, mm-hmm. but I was watching a YouTube video that was the Disneyland ten year anniversary the tencennial of Disneyland oh. and it's Walt hosting it. Mm-hmm. So this is 1966. Yep. 
the a couple of interesting things on it. One, um, Walt's companion during the video is a cast member named Julie, who was selected as Miss Disneyland Tencennial mm-hmm. or whatever. Yep. And she was going to be the ambassador who goes around mm-hmm. uh, all around the world to talk about uh, Disneyland. Very but, first uh, ambassador, by the way. The very first. Have you, you've seen the video, right? Yep. Walt begins the show by walking people through all of the attractions that are coming up in Disneyland. Mm-hmm. So it, it actually doesn't begin with a retrospective of the last 10 years. Walt actually begins by looking forward, not back mm-hmm. on the anniversary, which is a, a totally a Walt thing to do, right? Yeah. So he says, you know, here's the thing we're working on. First, we're bringing um, children's ride from the World's Fair over to Disneyland. Let's go talk to Mary Blair and see what she's doing. So she actually walks over, Walt and, and Julie walk over, and Mary Blair's at her desk, and she's doing concept art for It's a Small World. Then they say, you know, okay, now we're going we're gonna to walk over um, because we're bringing something to Disneyland. It's a haunted house. And Walt actually, in the show, can't remember the name of Haunted Mansion. So he goes to Herb Ryman yep. and said, Herb, walk me through the concept. <laughs> right? But he goes from there to, um, who, else wor- who else worked on Haunted Mansion? Don't they go, it's at one point to Rolly Crump where he's showing off. Rolly, yeah, they go to Rol- Rolly next. Yep. Uh, so Rolly's there and he's like, okay, tell me about your part. And then they go to uh, Exitensio, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for pirates. And because they're introducing pirates. And then uh, who else do they? There's one other Imagineer that they do. Well, I Claude. I, I want to say one point doesn't John Hench walk people through. Oh, John. Yeah. But he calls him Johnny. Right? Yeah. There we go. <laughs> so it's like, it's like every famous Disney Imagineer mm-hmm. is there. And you can, uh, and Walt just, you know, casually walking up to these guys and saying, oh, by the way, mm-hmm. you know, tell me what you're working on. And it's, it's, the, it's the attractions that they're working on that we will come decades later to know and love. Mm-hmm. But the fact that Walt can't remember the Haunted Mansion name is is very funny. The other thing I thought that was really funny about the show was mm-hmm. this. Julie and the Imagineers clearly memorized their dialogue, right? Mm-hmm. You can tell just by the way that they talk that they're hitting certain words in certain order and it's all been really well rehearsed. I think Walt showed up <laughs> maybe after a two martini lunch and the director was like, Walt, you know what to do. Go. And that was that was the show because his speech patterns are you know he's definitely not memorized the script. The fact that he can't remember the names of the rides means that he, he again he just showed up. It was Walt was definitely not rehearsed. Everyone else was on their A game. It was it was great. I thought it was really really funny. This is definitely worth seeking out, especially for that last like ten or fifteen minutes where they cut to the park and do the elaborate production number in front of the castle. Right. There was a thing with uh, Mary Poppins where they're trying to do some sort of 1960s era CG where she's floating up. She comes in from the sky and then floats back up. For me, what's more interesting are the walk around characters from the park from this era. I mean, particularly I'm kind of glad I didn't run into the giant Scotty dogs. Yes. I saw saw that. The the size of some of these characters. Yeah. Relative to Mickey Mouse, yeah. in that these things were the size of like like small cars. <laughs> Again, this is Bill Justice's unit, and you know you got to remember this is what this is 1965, and Bill only yeah. started doing the characters for the park in '62, and there was a yeah. lot of trial and error. There were a lot of I there mean, was a lot of experimentation. Yeah, yeah, and you know if you just look at like the dwarves from this period, or oh the. Dwar- Dwarves are creepy. Yeah. Oh my! I looked at that as oh, I'm having nightmares tonight. Yeah. This is gonna be great. And and they're huge. They're massive. They're like three times as wide as Mickey. It's a wonderful time capsule of this period. 
For me, when you look at all of the amazing stuff that Rolly was doing for Museum of the Weird that was basically supposed to be the holding area for Haunted Mansion. Right. right. That's a good point. The show happens prior to the coming together of both of those ideas for Haunted Mansion. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were still considered separate things. So the film, this uh, TV show, mm-hmm. uh, is, is a nice point in time look at how that idea developed. That one scene that they make a point of showing for pirates where it's a guy walking the plank and there's like 20 or 30 characters on a boat behind him. Yeah. There's this guy on a plank that's bowing down over this. You know, and they, again, they've, they've created the maquette and the model for this. There's got to be, what, 10 or 15 sharks that are supposed to be swimming around in the yeah. water below this thing. And it's like, you look at that and it's like, wow, that looks great. The, even today, I don't know if they could have figured out how to stay actually stage that scene. No, and way more characters. It was way more uh, elaborate. The other thing I liked about the Pirates vignette in the show is how they created the small-scale replica of the ride mm-hmm. and figured out how everything would look. So you would think uh, you build a model, you put it on a table, everyone sort of looks at it uh, at a bird's-eye level mm-hmm. and figures out how the ride would progress. Disney did something different here. So they built the the models, Mm -hmm. but then they put the models on tables at head level. Yeah, yeah. And they put the model so that you could walk between the buildings Mm -hmm. with your head basically just above the tabletop. And that was the the view you were going to get from the boat. Therefore, it was easier to simulate what you were going to see if they raised the model up much higher. It's, again, the, the era before computer graphics really took off. This is what they did to figure out what your view would be like in the boat. It's just so fun to watch Walt like, hey, Jolie, come over here. Yeah. The stretching painting is like, isn't this cool? Look at that. Look at that. And, you know, and it's just, or, you know, <laughs> the whole notion of, okay, so you go down a waterfall. How do you get out of the right? And Jolie's like, you go up a waterfall. Yeah. You know, it's just, this is Walt's toy box. Yeah. And I had heard that quote by Walt, you know, the, mm-hmm. the thing about going up the waterfall. I had heard the quote before. I, I didn't know where it was from. Mm-hmm. And it's from that. That's uh, That's really good. Yeah. So. It was a great video. It's on YouTube. I think it's the uh, Disneyland 10th anniversary. Go ahead and look for it, folks, and go ahead and watch it. Jim, why don't we take a quick break here, and we'll come back and we'll talk about a new virtual reality patent that may be headed to Disney World for Galaxy's Edge. How's that sound? Sounds great. All right, folks, we'll be right back. And we're back. All right, Jim, we know that Disney has lots of interesting things in store for Galaxy's Edge. We've talked about some of the virtual reality stuff that we've seen at Disney Springs with The Void, The Secrets of the Empire. When I did this, I told you, you, you strap on a headset and you're you're walking around an empty warehouse mm. in Florida. But if you're looking at it through the headset, it looks like you're on an alien planet fighting the First Order, right? Mm-hmm. One of the interesting things about virtual reality is visually and through your ears, you get sort of an immersive environment. And the Void and Disney do things like pump hot air at you when you're walking over lava fields, and they can import smells. Mm -hmm. But there's still a tactile sensation that you're missing when you're walking on things, right? Mm -hmm. It's very hard in a warehouse to simulate walking up a hill or down a hill. It's very difficult to simulate ice or mud, for example. So the question is, how do you do that? So Disney's got a new uh, patent application out. It's a... uh, number US 2018 0217662, just published a couple of weeks ago. 
Uh, and in this, it is a novel floor system. The title is Floor System Providing Omnidirectional Movement of a Person Walking in a Virtual Reality Environment. And what this is trying to do is to figure out how to make the floor surface that you're walking on during your virtual reality environment more applicable to whatever environment you're in. The way that they do this is, is really interesting. Imagine you had a floor that's set up in a grid, but instead of tiles, you've got circles on top of tiles. And the circles can move, Ooh. right? They can spin one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And the entire thing is set up on a tilting table. So a table set up with uh, a grid, and on top of the grid are circles that move. If you wanted to simulate walking uphill, you could not only tilt the floor a little bit, but you could turn the circles, you could spin the circles, so that they, that they spin coming towards you, which would provide a little bit of resistance as you attempted to walk up the hill, right? Mm -hmm. Now imagine the opposite. Imagine you wanted to simulate something slippery. What the patent says they would do is spin the circles the opposite way so that as your leg swung out, the circles would move your foot just imperceptibly a little bit more than you expected, which would, again, simulate a slip. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Oh, I love this. I mean, people forget how much what's under your feet sort of helps you sell the story. I mean, I, I remember at Universal Halloween Horror Nights back in 2011, Universal actually did a maze based on Joe Johnston's The Wolfman movie, which it was the first time Universal was doing a maze that would open before a film, and then there were production problems, and the film got pushed to the following year. But the thing is, as you walked into the maze, you were in a forest, and, you know, a forest okay. in the dark. But the thing is, you had leaves under your feet that made that distinctive crunch, and I guess it says something about how badly my brain must be wired. I don't remember anything else about this maze occasionally that a, that a wolfman jumped out at you, but this leaf <laughs> thing, you know, just that that right. was did such a great thing of establishing the world, and so. Yeah, and as impressive as the void technology already is, the notion mm -hmm. of we can do better, and and the you know that we can literally start the storytelling at with your toes, that's just astounding that we're 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 back you know in in a weird sort of way back to what we were talking about with Walt, this ridiculous attention to detail and and the fact that somebody sat in a room like, well, how do we do ice? Well, we spin it. It's like, oh, okay, cool. Let's do that. The other thing I like about the patent is that it tells you how you can simulate both walking through sticky substances and then walking through repulsive forces. So if you're walking through mud or lava, mm -hmm. uh, let's say, as you put your foot in it, there's going to be some suction mm -hmm. from getting your foot stuck in. Guess how they're going to simulate this? I'm assuming that literally suction, that you know, the, the air pulling down or, or, or what? Special shoes with magnets. <laughs> oh, God. So, but this makes sense, though, because, again, if you're going through Galaxy's Edge, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that this is for Galaxy's Edge, mm -hmm. but imagine a scenario where for Galaxy's Edge, you, you had to don a, a helmet of some kind mm -hmm. for the virtual reality experience. It wouldn't take much more to say, and by the way, here's your shoes. Because mm -hmm. for the Void, you're donning a vest and headgear already. So you might as well just put on some shoes. But the the interesting thing is the shoes have magnets in them. Mm -hmm. The way that they're doing sticky is the floor 
will be able to, uh, underneath the floor, they'll be able to raise and lower steel or, or other magnets that attract or repel your shoe based on what they need it to do. So if they need you to simulate walking in lava, they'll put opposite magnets underneath the floor under your shoe. And the magnets in your shoe will be attracted to the other magnets because they're opposites. And it'll feel like it'll, it'll take you a little bit more force to move your shoe. And if they want to simulate the opposite of that, let's say like a microgravity environment, mm-hmm. they would do repulsive uh, forces. They would make both ends of the magnet the same so that uh, when you put your foot down, you'd actually feel a little bit of resistance coming back from the floor. That's fascinating. I agree. And I don't know if you listened to the most recent earnings call with Bob Iger in regard to talking about the the Fox acquisition, but they, they've evidently made a promise to the investment community that they're going to try in the first year to get $2 billion back, that you know they're going to be that aggressive with putting the various Fox IPs and that sort of thing into parks and consumer products and so on and so forth. And remember that with Bob Chapek, his job title these days is Consumer Products, Parks, and Experiences. And evidently, one of the things that's now being considered for the void, an Aliens-themed experience. Oh, that's right, because there, there's a reboot of Aliens coming up, right? There we go. Uh, and that's yeah. that's a 20th Century Fox IP that Disney will acquire as part of this, and in effect, the irony is if you know your Disneyland history, there was a time where the Alien Encounter ride that was done for Walt Disney World originally was supposed to star the alien from the 20th century Fox films. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, you know, at the point where they had the creature drool on you, people who'd seen the movie freaked out because the drool was supposed to be acid. Now, the Void experience is 15 minutes long? 10 to 15. 10 to 15. Yeah, I haven't timed it that closely, but I've done it a few times. Well, supposedly one of the ideas that's being considered is that you're on the Nostromo. Recognizing that this is going to be that much more intense, that much more scary an experience, the notion is, well, is this something that we only offer on, say... September and October as our response to, say, Halloween Horror Nights at Universal. Right. But the incentive is that, you know, Iger's told the investment community that, you know, we're going to get a $2 billion return on the $72 billion, you know, that we, we paid for Fox. So there's there's a, a real incentive now to get these things out into the parks and making money for the company as quickly as possible. Yeah, I understand. I'm hearing that we may see a new Star Wars Void profile as early as next spring. That would make sense, though, because I think... Um the technology has developed since then. Mm-hmm. The graphics technology has developed a lot. And it could be that uh, Disney would want to play test a couple of new elements for whatever's coming up at Galaxy's Edge, too. I agree. So the a couple of things, again, this uh, this is U.S. Patent 2018-021-7662. It was filed late last year, actually, October 23rd, 2017. So uh, I don't know if Disney was considering the Fox acquisition back in October. This, this to me, seems like more of a Galaxy's Edge type of thing. But it does have... 32 pages of really detailed drawings mm-hmm. on how this floor is supposed to work. I, I think this is much more than a concept no, 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 based no, on no. the level of drawings here. I mean, these are industrial engineering drawings. This isn't a sketch. Mm-hmm. The number of people working on it, I'll give you their names. Imagineers, uh, Lenny Smoot, Gunter Niemeyer, David Christensen, and Robert Bristow. We have to, I guess we could see whether they're working on Star Wars stuff that would tell us whether they're, um, what this is related to. Anyway, check it out. Smoot? 
Smoot. Oh, like, wow. Like Smoot Holly Tariff. Actually, do you know there was a Smoot who went to MIT once, and there's actually a, one of the bridges by Harvard where they, they actually use this student as a, a unit of measure. They, they, literally, these students from Harvard laid him down the bridge and, and would move him. And it's I want to say they... Like, you know, I forget which bridge over the Charles is like 36 smoots long. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, p- p- pointless trivia. You know, just, but oh, wow. <laughs> I, I have, I have heard the story. I forgot it was, uh, it was smoot. Again, I, whenever I think of smoot, I think of the smoot holly tariff, but uh, it shows how you and I are different, Jim. There we go. And, and that's what makes the show great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Speaking of the show, uh, that's going to do it for, uh, for us. Don't forget we are produced fabulously by Aaron Adams. Please go into iTunes, Stitcher, your local uh, bridge over troubled waters and right on the side of it what you'd like to hear next for our show and send in any suggestions for jim this is len we will see you on the next show